So we welcome you to promise number five, number five in our series, The Promises of God. We've been learning there are 8,000 promises in the Bible, total. There are 365 promises, one promise every day, that God has actually made to you, promises that you can claim. We can't study all of those promises because of time, but we are studying what we're calling God's great and precious seven, and so we come to the seventh or the, the, the fifth promise this morning of the seven, all the promises start with a letter P, so you can memorize them, and this, the promise of God's power. Now, I will never forget a time in my life when I experienced the power of God in a way that was just incredible, at a moment of incredible weakness and vulnerability. This goes all the way back to uh, actually 19, about 82. I'd just become a Christian, young in my faith, 21 years old, I think. And a massive storm hit Castro Valley. I mean massive, just a deluge. And I grew up on a ranch, 90 acres, out on Crow Canyon Road. And so all of the water coming down is filling up this creek. The creek turns into a river. And I'm looking at this going, it's time to go rafting. So I have a wetsuit because I'm a surfer. I have a buddy who has a wetsuit. And we blow up a couple of huge truck inner tubes. And we're floating down this river. It's awesome, hitting the rapids. And we did that a few times. And, I'm like, and it's just still pouring down rain. I'm like, this is, kinda, this is cool, but why don't we go hit the Coal Canyon Lake spillway? So here's a picture. I took it the other day. This is the entrance to the spillway. And they're draining the lake right now, but you have to picture hundreds of thousands of gallons of water coming down the spillway. And then this is what I saw, and this was just filled with water. The trees weren't there, and it's just flowing down here like crazy. And I'm like, I said to Tim, my buddy, I go, I think we better go to the bottom of the spillway and, and paddle up it a little bit to make sure that it doesn't end in a bunch of concrete pylons and, you know, we just die. And he's like, good idea. So we walk down the bottom of the spillway, way down the river, way down the river, over here, and we start paddling up. By this time, I should tell you, we only had one inner tube because the second got punctured. uh, And we had one, so we're two guys on one inner tube paddling up. And you just have to picture, it is just an absolute, nothing like this, water everywhere. And as we come closer around the corner, uh, I, I... we got sucked in, and it's starting to literally pull us into where this water comes down at about a 45-degree angle. And I remember just, we were like rag dolls, ripped off this inner tube, and like in a washing machine, just going around and around, stuck right here. And I remember at that point just crying out, calling out, oh God, save us. And the next thing I remember, I'm standing waist high in, in water, standing up just like our, my inner tube is still stuck in the vortex. It's literally stuck. And I'm like, where is Tim? Tim pops up next to me, and we're both looking at each other white. Not so much because, yes, we were saved, but how we were saved. As I'm looking at that inner tube, when we walk back up this hill, I'm looking at that inner tube still stuck there going, how did I wind up 30 yards down, standing up, 
And I was just like, and I said, God, thank you for your powerful deliverance. Wow. Imagine what your life would be like if no matter what circumstance, what weakness you might find yourself in, you could fully trust and depend on God's power to come to your life in that moment. Imagine living a life like that. Imagine being a David going against a Goliath. Here you are, a young shepherd boy, going against a nine-foot-nine-inch giant. And this is what David said. It's on your notes. David said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty El Shaddai, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. That's what I call claiming the promise of God's power. When's the last time you faced whatever situation you're in right now and you said, I, yeah, you're coming against me like this, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. That's called claiming the promise of God's power. Have you learned whatever circumstance you might be facing to claim the promise of God's power like David what might you be missing out on right now? I mean, really. What could you be missing out on right now in your family, your relationships, your marriage, your job, whatever? Because maybe you would have to admit deep down you haven't yet learned how to claim this great and precious promise. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to ask and answer some questions. A lot of people believe in the power of God that he's omnipotent. This is not a series about, I believe you believe that God is all-powerful. My question to you is, have you learned to claim the promise that God is all-powerful to you and experience the benefits of claiming his power? That's the whole point. What's the difference? It has to go from here to here. So we're going to ask and answer some questions about the promise of God's power and in the process learn how to claim this great and precious promise. First of all, where is the promise of God's power found? Well, it's found all through Scripture, but especially in one verse is it found in Isaiah chapter 41. And actually, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 41 and just keep your finger there the whole morning because we're going to be going back and forth into this Old Testament passage the whole morning. Now notice, this is the scripture I want you to memorize about this promise. Here's the promise. So do not fear, God says, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will what? Strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, in your notes, would you underline, I will strengthen you? The word strengthen is the word ames, Hebrew word. It's used 41 times in the Old Testament. It means to empower, support, establish, make courageous, make strong. Notice who promises the strengthening and for whom. God, obviously, here is making the promise. And his power is for you. You are the whom. You are God's child. And notice God says, with my righteous right hand. Whenever you read about the right hand in Scripture... That is always the hand of strength, authority, and power. Look at Exodus 15, verse 6. There in your notes. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. 
I want us to notice a little something about God, the giver of this promise, before we move on. Look, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 25 and 26. And God is speaking here to you and to me, and he says, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. And God goes, okay, this is a good way to get at how powerful I am. He says, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. You ever done that? And God says, look to that. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Have you ever just looked up at the sky? Here's a picture right now of our Milky Way. Earth is out here right around there. This is just our galaxy alone. Have you ever looked up? Our galaxy, the Milky Way, is 100,000 light years across. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. That galaxy is 100,000 light years across. There are a minimum of 300 million stars in our galaxy alone. And watch this. In the universe, in the universe, and scientists are still trying to figure out the extent of the universe, but at minimum, there are 300 billion galaxies that scientists agree on right now. And guess what? God created all those stars. God has a name for every one of those stars, and the Bible says that God sustains all of it. This is the God that is promising to you his power. You got to get that fixed in your mind. Hmm. Now, what does it mean? What does the promise of God's power mean? Very simply is this. God will strengthen you. He'll empower you. And this is all through the Bible. This promise is made everywhere. Isaiah 40, 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Psalm 68, verse 35. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Enablement. Psalm 89, 21. The ar my arm will strengthen him. So I just want to ask you a question as we begin here. Right now, where in your life do you most need God's strength and power? Is it, with your, is it in your marriage? Is it with something personal that's going on in your life that only you know about? Is it with your finances? Is it, is it with someone at work? Is it what? Is it with a habit? Hmm. Here's another question. Why aren't we perhaps experiencing God's power to the degree we could. I mean, if God promises and wants us to have his power, because he promises, why is it that we are not experiencing his power? Could it be that we've not yet learned how to claim the promise of his power? Yeah, we believe in it. This is not a series about believing. It's about appropriating the power of God and experiencing the power of God because you know how to claim the power of God. That's a question you have to grapple with in your own heart. If you're going without the power of God, it's not be, that's not God's fault. You haven't learned how to claim the promise. Because the God who created this whole universe 
There's power available for you. You've got to tap into it. You've got to claim the promise. Now, we're going to talk this whole morning about how to do that. But first, I want you to share something about around your tables, and this this. I'm gonna, I want you to make this personal. Where right now do you most need to experience the power of God? Talk about that. Just got a minute? Go for it at your tables. Okay. This is the question of the morning. This is what we're here for. How can I learn to claim the promise of God's power? This is something we have to learn. That's why we're doing the series. If you didn't have to learn it, we wouldn't be teaching it. How do we learn to claim the promise of God's power? There are seven ways. Now, I wish there were like three, but this is not my series. This is me to teach you what the Bible teaches about how to claim the promise of God's power, and the Bible clearly reveals seven ways that we are called to claim the promise of God's power. So I have to teach you what the Bible teaches. Here's the first. You've got to claim your weakness as the attitude required to receive God's power. Now, this is Isaiah 40, 29. I told you to keep your finger there. Verse 29, he gives strength to the who? Weary or weak and increases the power of the who? The weak. That's right. See, God's power comes only to those who admit they are weak and weary. So question, when's the last time you've admitted to God you're weak or weary? If not, you're not going to experience the power of God. See, the Christian life is not a life of strength. It is a life of weakness that depends upon the strength of another. Big difference. King Jehoshaphat, he said these words in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. Oh God, we have no power. When was the last time you said that? I have no power. To face this vast army that is attacking us, we, do know not, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's what I said to God when I was in the vortex of that water. I do not know what to do. I am powerless. I need you. That is the attitude required to experience God's power. And for Jehoshaphat, God gave him a massive victory over a vast army because he stated his weakness. Look at Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, Jesus said, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Notice, the Bible does not say, come to me, all who are strong and empowered, and I will give you rest. No. Why would God give his power to someone who believes they are strong? No, no, no. The requirement that we see all through Scripture to experience the power of God is you've got to claim your weakness. Isaiah 40, 29. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. That's the first way to claim the promise of God's power. Claim your weakness as the attitude. What's your attitude? Claim your weakness as the attitude necessary to receive God's power. Second way to claim the promise of God's power. This is very interesting. Claim your weakness as a manifestation of God's power. You say, what do you mean by that? Take your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians, if you would. Book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. Claim my weakness as a manifestation of God's power. What do you mean? Well, look at verses 7 to 10. Now, Paul's speaking here. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. What do you mean by that? Well, Paul, as you know, 
had a supernatural experience. God took him to heaven, the third heaven, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place. Paul visited it. And because to keep him humble, God gave him, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. There's a lot of speculate, what was this thorn in the flesh? Something physical, some think it was the Corinthians, there are other theories, we don't know. But it was something to keep Paul humble because of what he saw. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Wow, isn't that interesting? Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness and in insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, God's power is made complete. It's made full in our weakness. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let me give you an illustration. Johnny Erickson Tata. Those of you who know her, you already get the whole story. 1967. In a tragic diving accident that renders her a quadriplegic. You look at her in a wheelchair, incredibly weak, but I'm telling you, the power that has come through this woman in her, her writing and her speaking and her artistic ability in the many ministries she started, unbelievably powerful. That's God's power. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's just look at something here. See, this is what God does. This is how God displays his power, different than the world. Verse 26, brothers, he's speaking to Christians here, think of what you were when you were called. Think of you when you, were, when you became a Christian. Think back to that date. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things. Why? Because God's power is seen in weakness. God chose weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Guess what? Weak people are the only people who boast in the Lord about God's strength. See, there are times we cry out to the Lord. We say, God, I need your strength. And God says back to you, my power is surging through you right now in your human weakness in ways that are unimaginable. You are more powerful right now for my glory in this week's human state than would be possible in any other manner. How do you claim the promise of God's power? Claim that in your weakness, God is strong. Because guess what? In your weakness, God gets all the glory. Because guess what? If you're strong, you take all the glory. This is how God works. How do we claim the promise of God's power? Claim your weakness as the attitude needed to receive God's power, but also claim your weakness as a manifestation of God's power. Some of you are thinking, well, I, I, look how weak I am and this, I just don't have God's, God's power is being manifest in your life because of your weakness. That's how God defines power. 
Third way, to claim the promise of God's power. Claim prayer as the means to experience God's power. A while ago, I heard one preacher preach this, and it just stuck in my mind. Some things never leave you. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. God is all-powerful. Prayer is what moves the muscles of God's power on behalf of His children. Prayer moves the heart of God to act powerfully on your behalf. Are you praying for God's power? Look at Matthew 7. It's there in your notes, 9 to 11. Which of you, if his son asks for bread? Remember, God is your heavenly father. You are his son or daughter. So which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The good gift that God often gives to those who ask him is power. You got to ask for it. That's how you claim the promise of God's power. Look back at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 and 31. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. To hope in the Lord, beloved, is to pray. One of the primary applications of hoping is praying. And when you pray, you find strength. And the Bible is full of stories of how prayer unleashes God's power in and through our lives. I mean, it's everywhere. Second Kings chapter 18 and 19 is the story. It's an amazing story of how uh, 185,000 Assyrians, enemies of Israel, surrounded and threatened the city of Jerusalem. Isn't it amazing how what happened, you know, 500, B.C. is happening even today? All these Arab countries surrounding Israel, wanting to annihilate Israel. It's been that way through millennia. And here we have this situation where Hezekiah, enemies are surrounding his city. And what did Hezekiah do? In his weakness, he prayed. Watch the power of God. 2 Kings 19, verse 15 and 35. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord that night. An angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. That's power. Because Hezekiah prayed. Are you praying? Simply asking for God's power? Or are you complaining? Where are you at? Look at James 5. Elijah was a man just like us. Just like us, just like you, like me. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. What does the Bible say there in verse 16? The prayer of a righteous man is powerful. God's power is unleashed through prayer. That's how we claim the promise of God's power. Pray. You do not have, the Bible says, because you do not what? Ask. Wow. So, are there times we go without the power of God in our lives simply because we are not asking God, praying to God for His power? The answer is yes. It's as simple and as profound as that. We're just not praying for God's power. I, I came across Isaiah 33, verse 2. O oh Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning. I think every morning, one of the things we should be praying for, God, be my strength this day. Every morning we wake up, be my strength. That's how you claim the promise of God's power. You pray for it. Leave you a fourth way to claim the promise of God's power. 
claim the Holy Spirit as the source of God's power. Now, to do this, we need to go back in history, and I want you just to imagine as I paint for you a picture of what's going on. I want to give you some of the last words that Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven. So you got to remember, Jesus lived the perfect life, goes to the cross, dies three days later, rises from the dead. Then he spends, watch this, after his resurrection, 40 days with a lot of people, especially his disciples, before he ascended into heaven. Now, what did he talk about? Look at uh, there in Luke chapter 24, verse 49 in your outline. It said, Jesus said this to the guys, one of the last things he said before he ascended into heaven. He says, I'm going to send you what the Father has promised. Here's a promise. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. What's going on? Well, you have to read the rest of the story. Go to Luke chapter 1. You say, well, they were told, the disciples, to stay in Jerusalem until they're clothed, clothed with power. What does that mean? Well, let's see how it unfolds. So this is what the disciples do. Luke chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. Let's pick it up there, verse 3. After his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Well, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he's eating with them, he gave them this command. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to be restored the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but what you will receive what? Power, dunamis, dynamite, we get from that. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Well, when did that happen? Turn one more page over. Acts chapter 2. So they're waiting in Jerusalem for this power, this promise, and all of a sudden the day of Pentecost comes, and they're all together in one place, suddenly a sound like a blowing and violent wind, wow, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separate and came down to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the birth of the church. This is where the Holy Spirit comes to live within and dwell believers. And believers begin to internally experience the power of God. Guess what? Your day of Pentecost came when you were saved. When the Holy Spirit came into you, regenerated you by God's grace. Now, here's the question for you. A lot of Christians are good at worshiping God the Father, loving Jesus the Son, there's a big question mark when it comes to the Holy Spirit. What is your relationship like with the person of the Holy Spirit? If you want to be a Christian that claims the promise of God, you must make a distinction between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Without that distinction, powerless will you be as you go through life. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, some of you think of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. You've heard of that. I want to challenge you to just begin thinking of him as the Holy Guest who is powerful. You have within you a Holy Guest who is absolutely powerful. And some of you have no clue 
that he lives within your hearts. And yes, it's good you worship God the Father and you love the Son, but you also must grow in your understanding of who the Holy Spirit is if you're going to live in his power and claim his power. Do not forget the Holy Spirit because some of you are going through life and you've yet not learned to develop an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you a couple more thoughts on this. There's a scripture here. Ephesians 5, 17, 18. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What's God's will? Well, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. In other words, do not be controlled by an outside force. But instead, in contrast, be filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit. You're called to be filled, controlled, influenced by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, all through the Bible, is revealed as the Christian's source of power, source of strength. You say, how can I experience the power of the Holy Spirit? The most basic way, ask. <laughs> ask Him for His power. And, and many of us aren't even doing that. I could give you 10 ways to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to start with the most basic, and that's a relationship with the Holy Spirit where you're asking him for his power. That's so basic. And yet I find many Christians just, they, they don't, they've not yet learned to claim that. So important. And that's why we need teaching and the word of God. So don't feel like, man, I just marked. That's all right. God has brought you here. Something new is being revealed to you, and that's awesome. Look at Romans 15, 13. May you overflow with the hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we claim the promise of God's power? Watch this. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you. I'll, I'll tell you, every time I get up to preach, I'm asking one thing. Empower me. I need your power, especially when I go out of the country and I'm preaching elsewhere, doing ministry. It's not only that, it's wisdom, it's everything, but the Holy Spirit. One theologian said, you know, God, see, God the Father is most prominent in the Old Testament. God the Son is most prominent in the New Testament, in the early church. Right there is, it's being formed, the canon and everything. The Holy Spirit is most prominent in the church age. Well, they're three in one. They all receive their glory. But I think, especially evangelical Christians, we tend to downplay our understanding of the importance and role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Amen. We need to learn to claim that. And the way you start that, ask the Holy Spirit for his power. When you're facing situations, you'll be amazed at how his power comes upon us in all sorts of situations. Okay. Let me go with the fifth way to claim the promise of God's power. It's this. Claim Jesus as the giver of God's power. Now, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is a beautiful scripture here. Book of 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul wrote before he was executed uh, by a guy named Nero in 67 AD. And what you have here is just a beautiful, tender moment here where Paul's reflecting and writing this letter to Timothy. Look, if you would, at verse 16 to 18. Paul says this, at my first defense, no one came to my support. Can you imagine this? Here's the great apostle Paul. He's on trial for his life. No one comes to support him. Not one Christian is in that room. But everyone deserted me. And then Paul says this, may it not be held against them. I mean, Paul, what a guy. 
Verse 17, but the Lord stood by my side and gave me what? Strength. Jesus stood by my side in that room and gave me strength. Wow. Look, at it's there in your notes. Philippians 4, 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Jesus is always the giver of strength. Will you underline the word gives? I mean, it's all through the Bible. Jesus is the giver of strength. The, the Holy Spirit is the source of strength, but Jesus is the giver of strength. You look at 1 Timothy 1.12. Here's another one. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. So a great prayer to Jesus. Jesus, give me your strength. That's how we claim the promise of God's power. Let me give you a sixth way to claim the promise of God's power. Claim the Bible as the book of God's power. Wow. Now look at Deuteronomy 11.8. Observe, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today. That is, observe the commands in the Bible that I'm giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land. Wow. Matthew 4.4. 4. Man does not live on bread alone. How do you live? Well, certainly on bread, but also on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I mean, how long could you live without food, without water? Your strength would be waning. Question, when's the last time you read this book, brother, sister? You want to claim the promise of God's power? God says, my power comes through this book as you read it as you ingest it into your life. Look there in Acts 20, 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. This is the word of God that builds you up. I was, a while ago, I bought some power aid out on the golf course. I'm thinking, I can hit this ball another 100 yards with this. So here's a picture of some power aid. It's coming, you got to wait on it. And I saw this little, are you hydrating enough? And I thought, are you Bible-aiding enough? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, seriously, we're going through life. Life drains you. All the problems and issues that you face in work and people, man, wouldn't the world be great without people? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Especially that one person you know. But it drains us, and it's like, God has given us this precious book. Are we taking it in? Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a Christian who isn't. You will fall apart. You're powerless without this book. Mm. I, I just be honest with you, man. You, you guys know, because you know my heart, how precious to me my time is alone with the Lord every morning. There's times I go into that and I feel drained, and honestly, I come out of it just feeling like Superman. You're like going into, you know, Clark Kent goes into that, you know, phone booth and comes out. Where are you at, wife? You know, I mean, just, it's awesome. And I just, I feel, you know, I've never had, and I think maybe the Lord for this, some of you have had, I've never had an IV. I've never been at a point where I needed literally an IV in, but I've seen people in the hospital and all of a sudden, the IV come, in a matter of minutes, color comes back, and it's like, I'm like, give me some of that, man. You know what I mean? It's amazing. But this is it. 
I mean, if we want to claim the promise of God's power, ingest the Word of God. Let me give you a seventh way to claim the promise of God's power. Claim fellowship as the connector to God's power. Do you believe that God uses other believers to empower you? I believe that. I think we've all experienced that. I mean, we come into a room like this. We're meeting people, you know, around the table. Some of you watching this on video. You're in your small group right now. You're building relationships with people, and it's, it's energizing, and that's the way God has made it. I look here in uh, 1 Samuel 23, 16. Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. This is at a low point in David's life. And one brother comes, and strength comes to David. I look at Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man or one woman sharpen another, right? We get sharpened. We get empowered by being around other Christians. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was probably, without question, the greatest uh, British preacher ever. He ministered in the mid to late 18th century, incredible communicator of God's Word. He was a bigger-than-life personality. If you've ever seen pictures of him, he was massive. And he had uh, one parishioner in his church who, who just stopped coming. He wasn't showing up. And Spurgeon made a house visit to this guy's home, knocked on the door, and the guy opened up the door, and there's Spurgeon. I mean, Spurgeon was a rock star and is to this day to all pastors or anyone who knows him. Bigger than life, huge, the Billy Graham of his day. And this guy was taken back. What is Spurgeon doing here? And Spurgeon walked through the door without saying a word. And the man is like, what is going on? And he walks right up to the fireplace, grabs a pair of tongs, and uh, as the man's watching, reaches into the fireplace, picks out a red-hot bowling, you know, uh, coal, and then sets it on the fireplace hearth. And they're both watching this fiery red coal go from burning hot red to smoldering, smoking, dead piece of coal. And the man looks at Spurgeon and says, I'll be there on Sunday. (laughs) Yeah. Without what you're experiencing right here, you go from hot burning. Haven't you experienced that before? You go to a retreat or you're with brothers and sisters, you're worshiping. All of a sudden, you've been away from the family for a month and you just start to smolder. You're lacking God's power. God's power comes through fellowship. That's how God has set it up. John Stumbo has written a book called An Honest Look at a Mysterious Journey. I'm going to be quoting from this book next Sunday, so I'm not going to tell you the backdrop to the story. You need to come back next Sunday for that. But um, he went through a very difficult time, and he's reflecting about the power of church and fellowship during his difficult moment. And this is what he says. He says, looking back, I realized that by attending church... I think thoughts I would not otherwise think. I hear truths I would not otherwise hear. I sing songs I would not otherwise sing. I meet people I would not otherwise meet. I give offerings I may not otherwise give. I rejoice in mission efforts and in new followers of Jesus that I would not otherwise know about. I receive encouragement and challenge I would not otherwise receive. I shed tears I would not otherwise shed. I receive a blessing I would not otherwise have received. I pray prayers I would not have thought to pray. I meet God in a way that I would not have met him had I stayed home in my chair. 
Here's a man that's saying, I'm experiencing power when I come to be with brothers and sisters. How do we claim the promise of God's power, claim fellowship as the connector? So we've given you seven ways. Actually, God's given us seven primary ways to claim the promise of God's power that's available to us. Claim your weakness as the attitude required to receive God's power. Claim your weakness as a manifestation of God's power. Claim prayer as the means to experience God's power. Claim the Holy Spirit as the source of God's power. Claim Jesus as the giver of God's power. Claim the Bible as the book of God's power. And claim fellowship as the connector to God's power. I want you to talk about that at your tables for a minute. Of those seven things, seven ways to claim the promise of God's power, which one do you most need to embrace today? Which one do you most need to embrace? Talk about that. Go for it. Okay, let's look at the final question on your outline. And this is it. What is the primary benefit given to the person who claims the promise of God's power? In other words, if you learn, if you train yourself to be a Christian who goes through life claiming the promise of God's power in these seven ways, and I'm going to share a little bit how at any given moment it can be one of these seven, but if you learn to claim the promise of God's power, what are you going to experience? What's the benefit that will come to your life? It's pretty obvious. It's strength. You're going to experience strength. You see, you can go through life as a Christian, you can experience weakness. But if you want to experience power, God's strength, it'll be because you're learning to claim the promise of His power. Uh, again, I go back to Isaiah 40, 29 to 31. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. I mean, you'll be like this. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Wow. So can I just, you know, how's your strength going? few questions. How's your strength spiritually? How's your strength emotionally? How's your strength physically? See, God's power is for all that. How's your strength uh, mentally in your mind? How's your strength relationally? God cares about that. How's your strength with your family? How's your strength with your marriage? How's your strength with your occupation? I mean, we could just go on and on and on. See, God's strength is for everything. God wants to, the, to pour the amazing, you know, benefit of His strength, His power into your life. But in order to be a receptor, you have to claim the promise of God's strength. Remember, if you're like, I don't need your strength, God's not going to pour it into your life. There are some times you got to go back to number one, claim your weakness as the attitude necessary to receive God's strength. There are other times in your life you need to claim your weakness as a manifestation of God's power. Because He's already given you all the power you need in your weakness, and that is strong. There are other times you got to claim prayer 
as the means to experience God's power. Looking at my son Josh over here. I remember when he was a little dude. This was years ago because he's not too little anymore. I can't, I mean, sixth grade, something like that. He got maybe younger. He got a boomerang. Actually, he got two boomerangs, I think. Well, he got a boomerang. I just remember we went out to uh, Stanton Field to just throw these boomerangs around, and they were cool. You know what? I was loving it. Isn't that the great thing? Your kids get toys, and you get to have fun, right? But, yeah, we just had one boomerang. I remember that. The other one must have been at home. I can't remember. Did you have two boomerangs or one? I'm, gonna, I'm going crazy. Can't remember. Two. Okay. But he had one at that point, I think. So, anyway, he throws the... You have two at that point? I can't remember. This is what happens when you tell a story you're not planning on telling it. But he, he throws the boomerang way up, and it, and it falls into this field, this massive, on the side of a hill, there's this massive field, you know, I don't know, the size of a half of a football field, with weeds so tall, and he's just a little dude, and his boomerang's up there, and he just starts crying because his boomerang's gone. And I'm like, we are, we are up there trudging through, the, trying to find the boomerang. We can't find it. It finally dawns on me. Why are we not praying about this? So I remember we came to the field. I go, Josh, let's pray and ask for God's power. So we prayed. Lord, lead us to that boomerang. And Josh walked right up and boom, found it. That's a moment where in that instance, you see the way to claim the promise of God's power was to pray. The Holy Spirit will lead you as you understand these principles, how to claim the promise of God's power, to tap into the power. Claim the Holy Spirit as the source of God's power. Sometimes the only thing, you have a moment, Holy Spirit, empower me. Jesus, give me your power. Daily, there should be, Lord, fill me with your power through this book. And weekly, we should be coming for the power that's here in Home Builders or wherever that fellowship is if you're watching on video. Amen? Amen? Let's pray.